This is the Byron Bledsoe podcast, senior pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Hey, welcome to C3 and thank you for hanging out with us online this morning. We are always thrilled when you choose to set aside this time and spend a little bit of time with us, especially if you're watching for the first time. I want to encourage you, man, when you can, as soon as you can, join us in the room on Sunday morning. There's just something about being in the room, and we would love to see you there. If you've never been to C3, I would love to meet you. And, and so check it out as soon as you're able to. Maybe you've been thinking about it. Man, let's do it. We would love to see you in the room. Hey, I also want you to know we have an event coming up. We're partnering with Feeding Children Everywhere. We're going to be paying for and packaging thousands of meals for people in need. That's coming on June 5th. If you'd like to be a part of helping to pack those meals, you can go to c3church.cc forward slash now. All the details are there. You'll see different things coming up in the life of C3. Look for the Feeding Children Everywhere link. You can click there and let us know you're going to be a part of that. We would love to see you and have you be a part of helping us pack thousands of meals for people in need. Hey, I'd love you to meet a very special family life C3 I love it when we hear stories about what God's doing. Check this out. Hi, I'm Adrian Ellenberger, and this is my wife, Tori. Uh, we started attending uh, C3 at the end of 2019 after we had our, uh, our first child, a uh, baby girl named Carson. Yeah, so being a mom has been one of the greatest blessings in my life. Um, and I think being a dad has been one of the greatest blessings in his life. Um, so when we had Carson, we knew we wanted to find a church, like he said, that we could call home um, and somewhere that we could raise our daughter. After uh, the services started uh, just coming back to Regal um, earlier this year, uh, we, Pastor Byron uh, talked about in one of his sermons about tithing. And when he talked about the 90-day tithing challenge, we thought that it would benefit us and there wasn't too much risk involved because we knew where the money would be, would be going uh, somewhere that would be beneficial for, for others and others in the church. We had been looking for a house. We had put our house on the market and it sold in three days. Um, so we were looking for a house immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and we had put a few offers. We fell in love with a few houses and didn't get them. Um, and so we decided, you know, this is a great time to tithe. Um, and so the first, February 12th was the first um, tithe that came out of our bank account. Mm -hmm. And I think like two hours later, um, the house that we put an offer on that we really fell in love with came on the market. So it was literally like two hours later after yep. it came out. Um, and that was on a Friday and we found out on a Monday, there were several offers on the house, but we found out that we got the we house. We got the house. So. Uh, you know, we know that God isn't a genie in a lamp, you know, he, but he does, he does reward us for our patience when we seek him, not only not only physically, but in, you know, in, in services at church, but also financially. We would highly, if anyone is like on the fence about tithing, we, like he said, God's not a genie, but we have been blessed. Like our lives have changed in the past few weeks that we've mm -hmm. been doing it a few yeah. months, I guess, mm -hmm. um, that we've been tithing. Um, new friends, we've new neighbors that we've met, that we've actually asked them if they wanted to come to C3 as well. Mm -hmm. um, so. It's definitely changed the course of our lives and we're really excited for the future. Hey C3, 
what God does in our lives when we put him first is incredible. And I want to thank those of you that invest financially. I want to thank you for your faithful generosity. Whether you text C through Orlando to 77977 or you go to the secure and safe giving website, giveC3.cc, however you choose to give, you're investing in life change. You're putting Jesus first. God's going to bless you. He's going to bless through C3. We can do things like partnering with feeding children everywhere. So thank you for your faithful generosity. This morning, I want to wrap up the series we've been in called The Bible, Relic or Reliable? And this morning, I want to talk for just a few moments about how to avoid the abuse of misuse. Because I think in a lot of ways, if you look back at history, in a lot of ways, the Bible has been misquoted, misunderstood, and misused. And it, it's created some, some not only tension, but some tragedy in many ways at times in culture. And there's an abuse that can take place when we misuse the Word of God <clears throat> in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. There's this passage in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, that says this. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now this passage is talking specifically to people that, that teach the scripture to pastors or preachers, people who give messages, those who teach Bible, lead Bible studies. And it says, hey, you, you need to be careful about how you function with the word of God and your perspective of that and what you share with that. And you're going to be held responsible for that. And when you abuse it, you'll be punished most severely. But I, I, think, I think there's a broad application that could also be, hey, parents, those of you that are Christ followers, as you lead and teach your kids what the Bible teaches, that there's a caution, we've got to be careful. If you lead a Bible study, if you're in an area where you're sharing the Word of God, we want to make sure we're not misusing, mishandling the Bible. We want to make sure that what we're communicating is God's agenda and purpose, and that we're not approaching the Bible to, to try to find ways that it can build and support our agenda or purpose. So how can we abuse or misuse Scripture? One of the ways I think it happens is when I use it to think of what others should do instead of what I should do, that's misusing the Word of God. The Bible is not intended to be binoculars. It's intended to be a mirror. And listen, this is foundational. This is essential. If you want to understand the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is not to see how messed up someone else is. The purpose is to see who God is and how much he loves me and his purpose for my life. But it's so easy to use the Bible as binoculars. We can all do this. We can read a verse or hear a verse and maybe even hearing a message like this. It pops in our minds who we think should hear this. You, you attend a service or you watch online and we talk about marriage and it pops in our minds the things we think our spouse needs to hear. Or a message about family, it pops in our minds what one of our kids we think need to hear. And rarely do we stop and pause and think about what do I need to hear? I don't want to use the word of God as binoculars. That's not how it's intended. I want it to be a mirror. Or, or we hear a verse and we think, you know what? That's parents, we think that, that's, why, that's why my kids go to public school. They're supposed to be salt and light. Or we hear a verse about training up a child in the way you should go. That, that's why my kids are homeschooled. That's why my kids are in private school. And, and we begin to look at what we think other people are doing wrong 
and what we think we're doing right. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says all scripture, not just the parts we like, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that, there's a purpose, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the purpose of God is that you and I know Jesus in a personal way so that we know how to be saved, so we know how to live righteously and how to honor God. The Bible was not written so that you and I can fill our heads. It was written so that we can change our lives. And to do that, we have to approach it as a mirror. When I read the Bible, I'm dealing with me. I'm letting it speak to me, not thinking about other people or how they should hear it or see it or what they should change in their lives. And so we have to be careful about not putting on the binoculars of hypocrisy. I like what Matthew chapter 7 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The Bible. It's not binoculars. It's a mirror. Another way I think sometimes we tend to misuse the Bible it's when we view the Word of God as simply suggestions to consider. The Word of God is not suggestions. If you go to the Smithsonian Institute, you can, you can find and, and look at, it's there, Thomas Jefferson's Bible. It's in the Smithsonian Institute. What's interesting about Thomas Jefferson's Bible is he cut out the parts of the Bible he didn't like. And basically he pieced together a Bible of the things that he agreed with. And before we, before we crack on Tom too hard, you and I can often do the exact same thing. Our tendency becomes to focus on a few things in the Bible that we don't have a problem with, that we feel like we're doing okay, and those are the areas that we, we kind of got down, and we ignore the areas of the Bible that, that could be convicting or, or could speak to things that we need to change. Matthew 23 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. You're paying attention to this part of scripture so much that you not only tithe, bring 10%, tithe is a, a mathematical term, means 10%, you not only tithe off your income, you tithe off of everything, everything. You even bring a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. I love it, by the way, I love it. Time out. When people misuse the Bible and say things like, well, tithing is just an Old Testament concept. It's not in the New Testament. No, right here in Matthew, notice what Jesus says. He endorses putting God first financially and bringing the first 10% when Jesus said, you should have practiced the latter. You should be doing that. You should be tithing without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. You're worried about something so small while ignoring things so big. See, the Bible doesn't have some things I should live by and some things you should live by, and some things they should live by, or some things they should live by, when I pick and choose what I live by, I become, in a sense, the judge of God and the Bible. I, I can say things like, I just don't think a loving God would do that. Well, apparently he did. Or we can say things like, well, I know what the Bible says, but I think God's okay with it. Hey, do we, do we really want to put ourselves in the posture of lying to ourselves in a way that we, we act like we're smarter than God. I know what the Bible says, but I think. 
God's okay with it? You're smarter than God? I'm smarter than God? I don't think so. The easiest thing in the world is to find people who will help you turn the Bible into a book of suggestions. You can go online and there are all the, all the experts on the internet and you can find anybody who will agree with your position. But the question is, are you searching for the truth or just searching for someone who agrees with you? And so we misuse the Bible when we view God's word as simply suggestions to consider. We also misuse the Bible when I guess instead of obey. We can get stuck in all the things that we don't know. And if we're not careful, we can approach the Bible and all, all the things that <clears throat> aren't as clear. We can get stuck there and we can ask questions that don't even matter. Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? What, what kind of fish swallowed Jonah? We, we can get stuck on things that in the big picture don't really matter. I remember months ago, a little over a year ago, when our nation and the world began to be shut down because of what was happening with COVID. And I remember someone coming up to me being very upset that I would not teach on and preach on Revelation, even though I did do a series on Revelation around that time, but, but that I wouldn't focus on Bible prophecy. And this person, like me, they were convinced, man, it's the end of the world. Look at what's happening. Everything's shutting down. It's, it's the end of the world. Jesus is coming. He's coming in just a few weeks. But that... That was over a year ago. See, when I focus on what I'm guessing about, when I focus on Bible prophecy and how the world's going to end, I don't have to focus on how I treat my wife. When I focus on, oh, the rapture's about to happen and it looks like all the signs are there. You know what? Everybody that's been guessing about when the end of the world will be, every single person so far has been wrong. And the Bible says that is not to be a primary focus. We're to look for it, but we're not to worship it. That is not to be a primary focus. But we get into these areas where, well, is Jesus coming back before the tribulation or in the middle of it or after it? And, and, and we dive, we take a deep dive into these things that in some ways we're guessing. And I think perhaps we do that because if I do that, I don't have to focus on how I raise my kids. If I do that, I don't have to focus on what I look at online. If I do that, I don't have to focus on who I'm kind to and how I need to be forgiving. See, answering the unanswerable is not deep Bible study. It's speculation. The deepest thing we can do is read and apply the scriptures to our lives right now. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven, it's made up of the faith of children, not the intellect of Einstein. Now, I don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back. I've met people that say they do. <clears throat> I've met people that say they know exactly when he's coming back. Wait, 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 wait. You think Jesus is coming back really, really soon, but you're not sharing his love with people. You're not inviting people to church. You think Jesus is coming back really, really soon, but you have neighbors that you've not told, hey man, here's how you can know God in a personal way. You have coworkers that you've not invited and made sure they're coming to church. You're so focused on what you're gonna get when he comes back that you're ignoring everybody around you and missing the purpose that you have and I have as followers of Christ. The only reason we're left on planet Earth after we become a follower of Jesus is so that we can reach more people. It's the only thing we can do on Earth that we won't do in heaven. We're going to pray in heaven. We're going to worship in heaven. We're going to fellowship in heaven. We're going to do all that. The only reason we're still here is to reach people. And you've become concerned and consumed. And you know people like this, and I know people like this, with something that a lot of it, let's just be honest, you're guessing about. You're focusing on something that you don't have all the answers to. And you're 
you're guessing in a way that keeps you from feeling like you have to obey. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. See, what is not clear, what is not clear is not as important as what is clear. And if you spend your life chasing unclear things, you'll miss the most important things. So, so don't find yourself getting hung up on something in Scripture that good people that love Jesus and pursue Jesus and read their Bibles aren't sure about or have differences of opinions of or I'm not sure when Jesus... Don't, don't, don't get stuck on that where you miss the primary purpose of living. When you do that, you're misusing your Bible. We also misuse it when what we know is more important to us than who we know. Have you ever known anyone who was so proud about how much of the Bible they knew or they could quote verses left and right to apply to any situation and they walk around with kind of a haughty spiritual arrogance? Have you ever known anybody like that? I remember many years ago when I first went in ministry, I was 18 years old and I was student pastor of a church in the town I grew up in. And I remember on a Sunday morning, I was walking around Sunday morning, worship service was about to start, and I was saying hi to people, and there was a gentleman in that church who'd been uh, my doctor when I was a little kid. And I remember that day he had a smile on, and, and this guy was one of the most arrogant, spiritually arrogant people I've ever known in my life. Good guy in a lot of other ways, just I, I think it was a blind spot, I don't think he saw it, I don't think he intended to be, but... I'll never forget that Sunday morning. I'm 18 years old. I'm brand new in ministry. And this guy who's older, more mature, been studying the Bible longer, could have been such a helpful encouragement and influence. But that Sunday morning, you know what he said to me? He looked at me with kind of a smirk on his face and he said, how many verses did you memorize this week? And I don't, I don't remember how I answered him. One, two, none. I, I don't remember exactly how I answered him. I do remember his response. Whatever my answer was, he said, well, that's interesting. I memorized, and he gave some number, 10, 12, 15, some, some number way bigger than what I said. And then he said something like, but I'm, I'm just a doctor. I'm not in full-time ministry, so I'm, I'm sure you had busier things to do. Are, are you kidding me? If your understanding of the Bible makes you more arrogant and less loving, if it makes you superior and harsher, you've missed the message of the Bible. When what we know becomes more important than who we know, we're misusing the Word of God. Let me give you one last one. Parents, we misuse the Bible when we expect our kids to obey Scripture more than we do. As a parent, we want the best for our kids. And often if we're not careful, because if you've been studying the Bible or reading the Bible and you know some of the things it teaches, you, you want your kids to obey that. You want your kids to follow that. So you tell them that, that that's what they need to do. That's how they need to behave. That's how they need to think. But one of the most damaging things that you and I can do to the faith of a child is to live an inconsistent life while demanding consistency from our kids. Are you setting an example to be followed? Or are you living patterns that will have to be overcome, that will often take years? When you're angry with your spouse, how do you treat them? But when your child is angry with someone, you don't put up with that attitude, and you tell them, 
they should be kind. When you promise to do something, do you follow through? But when your kid says they'll do something like their homework, you bring huge consequences if they don't do it. When somebody hurts you, do you forgive them? Or do they have to continually hear about who hurts you at dinner every night and the stories you tell? But when your kids are hurt by a sibling, you tell them the Bible says they're supposed to forgive. Hey, parents, we cannot expect our kids to live more consistently according to the word of God than we do. And when we put that pressure on them and they see that level of hypocrisy in our lives, it can tend to erode faith to the point of they they can begin to wonder what's true. I know what you say, but I know what you do. And so I'm struggling with what's really true. What's more important at the end of the day, what's more important than knowing this book, and it's important to know this book, but what's more important than knowing this book is living this book. It's not about what I know. It's about what I do with what I know. And am I living consistently with what the Word of God is teaching me? Don't build a life. Don't create a pattern. Don't don't create a tone in your home of living a life inconsistent with or misusing what the Word of God teaches. Let your kids see you. Yes, sometimes it's a struggle. Yes, sometimes it's challenging. And yes, we're all going to blow it. You are, I am. But let them see that journey of growth. Let them see the journey of struggle. Let them see that, hey, here's an area where I keep blowing it. And it's obvious to everybody. You don't have to announce it. But man, I'm trying. And I want to be consistent with what the Word of God teaches. When you talk to your kids, hey, in this area, man, you you need to be forgiven. And I'm forgiving when something like that happens to you. And I I know you've seen in dad's life times that I've wrestled with being forgiving. It's it's a struggle for me too. I'm in the journey. But we know the Bible says that's the best plan. So I'm going to continue to work on that. And because I want the best for you, man, I, I want you to work on that. Let's don't misuse the Bible. Let's use the Bible and allow God to use the Bible in our lives to create the life God created us to live, the best life possible. The Bible, the Bible will make life better, and the Bible will make you better at life. Would you pray with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe, maybe you know that the next step in your spiritual journey is that you need to commit your life to Christ. That's where you are. You need to give your life to Christ. I want to encourage you to pray a very simple prayer. I'd like to lead you in the prayer. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But if you'd like today to give your life to Jesus, which is the most important, eternity-changing, life-changing, legacy-changing decision you can make, just pray this simple prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you look at me a second? If you just prayed that prayer, online, man, I'd love to know that. I'd love to know that. Would you shoot me a text? Just put your first name and send it to 407-487-8311. Here's why I ask you to do that. I'm going to get that list of names this afternoon, and I would love to be able to pray for you by name today and throughout the week. So please shoot me the text, make sure you send me your name, and I'll be praying for you. I'd love to send you a free gift. We'll connect and, and find out how to get that to you, but shoot me that text so I can be praying for you. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at givec3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.